imagine. Summertime, 1953. Ten-year-old Greg Williams. He's living in Virginia with his mom, dad, and three siblings. Life is good. Until the day his mom left. Listeners should know, this story does use a pejorative term for African Americans. We kept it in. A week passed and a couple weeks passed. She had never been gone for a period of more than two or three days. And so it became clear to me that maybe she wasn't coming back. Greg's mom and dad were always getting in fights. His dad drank too much. And after a while, she couldn't take it. She'd just pack up the kids and leave. But this time, she'd only taken the two youngest, leaving Greg and his brother Mike with his dad. On his 40th birthday, he really pretty much had a breakdown uh, and decided he couldn't go any further. And we just kind of left everything there. They were leaving a big house and a restaurant that had once supported the family. And now, they had to beg for bus fare to get to Muncie, Indiana. We saw the the bus trip as our salvation. And so my brother and I got on the bus with incredible anticipation. And that's when Greg's dad leaned across the aisle and said, Boys, I've got something to tell you, and I wonder, what is this? What has he got to tell us? And he said, do you remember Miss Sally? And I did remember Miss Sally. She was this tall, thin, black woman who had worked for us in the restaurant. But I never had a good relationship with her. She seemed unfriendly. He said, Miss Sally is my mother, and she's your grandmother. And I was in a state of shock at the time. I I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it because my dad, he didn't look black. Now my dad, I started looking at him a little closely and he didn't really look white. Uh, But I remember he told me that he was Italian and that's why he called himself Tony. And Greg's dad didn't just tell them his story. He also said, And in Virginia, you were white boys. But in Indiana, you're going to be colored boys, and your life is going to be different. And I looked at him, and, you know, I said, Dad, Dad, it can't be. It can't be. But it was true. His dad was really James Williams. James had grown up black with Miss Sally and Muncie, but his father was white. It wasn't until he was in college at Howard University, a traditionally black school, that he convinced himself the only way to get ahead was to be white. So he dropped out, changed his name, married a white woman, and moved to Virginia, where he raised his children as white. And now here's Greg. My brow was furrowed and head down, wondering what's next. Everybody's going to know that I'm colored, and how am I going to be treated? So they get to Muncie, the town where his mom and dad had met, and both sides of the family still lived. But instead of going to see their white grandma, they went to a different side of town, to Miss Sally's sister's house. Dad knocked on her door and he said, boys, this is Aunt Bess, uh, which was my grandmother's sister. And so she said, well, get in here, boys, you got to be hungry. 
and she took us into the kitchen and fed us. We had homemade biscuits and had a big pot of beans on the table, and so she kind of found a little bed back in her living room for me and Mike. So the next day was his first day at school, and Greg had never been to an integrated school before. At recess time, we go out in the little playground, and I see the black kids going to one direction, the white kids going to another direction, and can't decide, where do I go? There was these two little white girls that walk over to me, and so they started asking me questions about life in Washington, you know, the cherry blossoms, you know, the president. I was just overjoyed. Things were going great. He had these new friends, and he was doing well in school. And a couple days later, he sees his new friends. They had frowns on their faces. They turn and they ran back to school. And I just was confused. I didn't know what had happened. And that's when his black cousin, Mary Lou, she said, I told everybody you were colored boys. Greg and his brother were the talk of the town. I mean, everybody knew these were two little white black boys. And they also knew about the one drop rule. You were either all black or you were white. And if you were any part black, you were all black. There was no biracial. There was no mixed race. So it was not a life that I wanted. I saw the hatred on the faces of the white boys. I saw the hatred on the faces of the black boys. I was being called a nigger by white boys, called a peck of wood, a cracker by the black boys. People throwing rocks at our house, breaking windows at our house, calls we would get in the middle of the night. How was I going to survive on a day-to-day basis? So Greg turned to his father because James Williams had gone through it before. He painted this very vivid dream for me that people in Muncie did not understand me. They had no idea how to deal with a mixed-race kid. Uh, uh, He said, but that is here, and you don't have to be a prisoner of all the things that are happening here to you, that you have the ability to go out there and change your life. So I bought into the dream. As big as his father dreamed, the everyday reality was the exact opposite. He struggled to keep a steady job and continued to drink off and on. He used to take Greg and his little brother Mike to a gambling spot called the Dewdrop Inn. My dad liked to go there because he could uh, beg for money for a drink or a bottle of wine. They had a little act. Greg would recite Invictus or the Gettysburg Address, and his brother would do handstands and flips. One day we were going through that, and he said something. I said, there's my white boy. My white boy's over there. And I said, Dad, I'm not white. And I said, no, you're a white boy. You're going to be a white boy. And then he got everybody else in the chorus who were all black, and they said, yeah, you're a white boy. You're a white boy. And I said, I'm not a white boy. And I just got so mad, I just left the dew drop in, just went out and slammed the door. Greg was sick of his dad's behavior. He would leave for long stretches of time, and they didn't know where their next meal was coming from. Their relatives didn't have enough money to support them, and he felt like nobody cared. 
But that's when he met Miss Dora, a widow from the neighborhood. Miss Dora was incredible. She saw us. She was a church-going woman who was making no money, $25 a week. Her church members told her, don't take those boys, don't take those boys. They have white relatives, they have black relatives. You're just a poor, widow, black woman. You don't have a responsibility to take those boys. She said, you're my boys, and I'm going to take you both in, even though I don't have much money, but you can share this house with me, and we can try to make a life together. When I was in fights with white boys and black boys and came home crying, that Miss Dora was the one who put her arms around me, that she's the closest thing to a mother that I ever had. Meanwhile, his white relatives didn't want to have anything to do with him. In high school, Greg shared a class with a cousin who never talked to him. But one day, he walks up to Greg, holding something in his hands. He shows me this little kind of dime store photo, and it's a picture of my mother. Uh, And he said, you know, here's a picture of your mom that I have. And I was thinking, what is this little jerk, you know, doing with a picture of my mother? I mean, he's closer to my mother than I am. But I wanted that picture. I wanted that picture. I said, can I have it? And I begged him. You know, I hated myself. I begged him for the picture. And uh, he gave me that picture. And so I said, that's my mother. This picture was the only thing he had left of his mom. She wasn't there to see him win the state championship in basketball or graduate from high school, or even later when he was sworn in as a deputy sheriff. He rarely thought about her until one day when he was on duty answering calls. Greg picked up the phone and it was a voice he hadn't heard in years. His mom's brother. He said, Greg, your mother is in Muncie, and she would like to see you and Mike. And I said, I don't know. I'll think about it. I'll, I'll talk to Mike and see what we want to do, and I'll let you know. I did have a tinge of excitement, but there had been such anguish and hurt and anger over the years that I said, why now? I mean, I've got a job. I'm going to graduate from college. And I had suffered through all those years, and she hadn't shown up. We didn't get one card, letter, telephone call for all those years. I don't want any part of it. But there was still a hesitancy in my part. I said, well, you know, it is my mother. I haven't seen her. I I kind of would like to see her and and hear about my sister and my brother and what happened to them. And so I called Mike and said, Mike, you know, Mom is here in town and she wants to see us. He immediately said, yeah, yeah, I want to see her. I said, well, Mike, are you sure? You know, she kind of let us down. Mike and I talked for a while and ultimately decided to see her. And so I called my uncle back. I said, well... I don't get off till 11 o'clock tonight, and uh, I'll pick Mike up if that's not too late. He said, no, 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 she wants to see you. She wants to see you. So I picked Mike up after I got off, and we drove out to the, to the house uh, and walked up there and knocked on the front door, and I had my best 
deputy sheriff badge and uniform and scowl on my face because I was not going to take any crap from my mother. She came out and this kind of little frail-looking woman. Last time I'd seen her, she was bigger than me, taller than me, heavier than me. And I said, this is my mother. I can't believe it. Immediately, we all embraced and we dissolved into tears uh, because it had been 12 years. Without any connection, um, and so there was a lot, uh, a lot lost. His mom lived in a suburb outside of D.C. with Greg's brother and sister, who still didn't know they were a quarter black. She had remarried, this time to a white man named Ken. She said, well, I've talked to Ken, and uh, he wants you guys uh, have you as family. We can always going to adopt you and you can come back and live with us and go to school and change your name and you know everything is going to be fine. She wanted Greg to go back to being white. Mike is sitting there and see him, you know, just kind of taking it all in. Wow, you know, my life could be different, could be changed and, you know, things could be different. But then I kind of check myself and say, no, no. She knew we were living with Miss Dora. My black family never disowned me. If we went with her, all the past had to be obliterated. That means that I would have to walk away from all the people who had helped me survive, you know, Muncie, uh, who had helped me in a time when no one else was reaching out, who had fed us, who had clothed us, who had supported us. I said, well, you know, I'd like to come and see you, but I've, I've got school and I've got a lot of things to do here, so I can't, I can't go. And I just didn't say I'd totally reject your offer, but I knew that this just, this, this was not going to work for me. I've identified myself as black. That's the world I grew up in. That's the world I was part of. It was never a price that I would be willing to pay. Big thanks to Greg Williams for sharing his story with Snap. Greg wrote a book all about his experience in Muncie. It's called Life on the Color Line. We'll have a link on our site, snapjudgment.org. The score and sound design was by Pat Masidi Miller. That story was produced by Adiza Egan. <laughs>